and he's giving it to us right here. So will you please stand for the reading of his word? Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of them, in presence of men and women and all those who could understand. And all the ears of all, all the, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that was made for the purpose. And beside him stood Medathiah, Shema, Haniah, Uriah, Hekiah, Maasiah, and on his left stood Padiah, Mishael, Makajai, Heshem, Hezbadonai, and Zechariah, and Mishalem on his left. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and he opened it, as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the God with their faces to the ground. Let us pray. This is your holy word, Father. This isn't just, this is no fairy tale book. This is truth. Your truth. Your very word from your mouth, Father. And we have it before us. And it is elevated above all of our lives, Father. It speaks to us, it covers us. And we need your spirit. The Holy Spirit to come and to apply this truth to the hearts of me, my heart, to the hearts of your people. For we desperately need a word from you. We live in a world of uncertainty. We live in a world of brokenness. Broken governments, broken schools, broken societies. And your truth, Father, your truth can shine into those broken areas and speak light. Bring light. But first, Lord, it has to be light to your people. Those who claim to know you. Then we can take it out first. But it has to be our light before we can give it to others. So we need it, Father. Not those out there, but everyone in here needs your truth. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Whenever you, um, or sometimes when you talk to, to folks about the gospel or church or Christianity, you, know, you hear phrases like, sometimes, like, I rededicated my life to Christ some years ago. Sometimes you hear folks say that. Or also folks will say, well, I'm just a regular Christian, you know. I'm not like so-and-so who's really sold out for Jesus, you know. I'm just a regular Christian. I just go to church on Sunday, and I'm just regular. That's just who I am. Or you hear, I'm not a big fan of church, you know, but I read my Bible every night, and so, but that's good enough for me. 
I just read my Bible. I don't really have an interest in going to church. I'm not a church fan. Yes, Alex. Yeah, I grew up in a church, but but I've backslid. So, and so I, I'm I'm doing things I shouldn't do now. But once I get my life together, once I get everything lined up, then I'm going to go back to church. Then I'm going to go back. Then I will. When I get my life together. You know, whenever I hear comments or statements like that, it, it, it reminds me that we as Christians, we constantly need to be renewed. Constantly. Need to be renewed within the church. David said in Psalms 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore within me, in me, the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with the willing spirit. You see, it's our joy in the Lord that needs a constant renewing. It needs to be filled up. It needs to be gassed up. Because as we know, this vehicle calls life runs that joy on empty. And some days you come in church, you got nothing. Some days I'm in the pulpit and I got nothing. I'm on E because of life and all that life throws at us. The next couple, the next two weeks, we're going to spend talking about ways that the Lord renews our joy. And he does it through worship. He does it through his word. And he does it through repentance. His word, worship, repentance. And, and, in, and in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, deals with that. Renewal of the congregation. You see, the book of Nehemiah is divided into two sections. Chapter 1 and 6, it deals with the restoration and the, and the restructuring of the wall. In chapter 7 through 13, it deals with the renewal of the people themselves. The people. Last week, if you were here last week, we saw that people needed some renewing. Because there was spiritual brokenness in the community. Spirit, the leaders were broken. The spiritual leaders were broken. So you should have known what was going on with the people. Chapter 7, it begins this process of renewal. It renews the community in Jerusalem. And through, in, in chapter 7, Nehemiah, he, he sets up the worship officials. He, he put godly leadership in place. And the rest of the chapter 7 deals with him repopulating the city of Jerusalem because no one lived there yet. So chapter 7 was the renewal of the community. And in chapter 8, which is our focus this morning, it begins the renewal of the people's joy in the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 73b says, Let me find it. It said, When the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their own town. You see, I'm going to flesh out what, the importance of that. But the people's joy in the Lord was renewed first through worship. And in verse 73, it tells us that the people had to actually travel to Jerusalem during the seventh month. And the seventh month came, they were there, but eventually they eventually journeyed to Jerusalem. And we see in, in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, that the people were actually in Jerusalem on the first day of the seventh month. They gathered together in the square of the water gate. 
the seventh month. That would be September, October, according to our calendar. And for the Israelites, something historically is significant about the seventh month. If you know anything about Israelite history, Old Testament history, you know there were three festivals celebrated in the seventh month. Three festivals. The Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Booths. Israel has actually has seven festivals that they celebrated. And all these festivals were, were considered worship, Sabbaths of rest, corporate worship to the Lord. And three times a year, the people were actually traveled to Jerusalem from their towns for this worship. They were also sing songs if they go, went to Jerusalem. One of those psalms is seen in Psalm 122. It says, I was glad. When they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within the gates, O Jerusalem. What do you, what, what, what? They had great joy of the Lord. They were excited about worship. As one author says, that at these feasts, there would be great singing and dancing, enjoying time together. But it was also a time of giving thanks to God, fulfilling duties. Renewing spiritual commitments. In short, it was worship with celebration or worship the cost of celebration. That's what those festivals were. And the people loved it. But we know that was Jerusalem's past. Right? Before the exile. Times long ago. As we would say, the good old days. Right? The good old days. Because when Nehemiah chapter 8, on this verse of the seventh month, was not like the ones in generations long, long ago. Because Jerusalem present tense was not what Jerusalem used to be before the exile. It's a shadow of what it used to be. Because we know what happened in the exile. Everything was destroyed. The city was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The wall was destroyed. And even though the temple has been rebuilt, and even though now the wall has been restored, Jerusalem was still not what it used to be. But here in chapter 8, we see the present Israelites connecting with the past. They made a pilgrim's journey to Jerusalem. They were in their towns in the seventh month, but eventually they journeyed to Jerusalem. You see, none of us here have ever been taken into exile, at least I don't think. But, but all of us know what it feels like to have our joy in the Lord just sucked out of us. Or is it just me? Busyness, hurts, betrayals, sin, disappointments, and even the good things in life can do it. When life and other things start to drain your joy, it usually shows up in how quickly you neglect and take for granted worship. I don't feel like going to worship today. You know what? I really don't like organized religion. It's personal. It's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. I've been hurt by the church long ago, and I'm never stepping foot inside another one again. Well, Alex, I just don't have the right clothes to wear, so that's why I don't go to worship. I don't see the value in going to worship, Pastor Alex. I got my 55-inch TV so I can watch worship on TV. That should be good enough. 
I watch the preacher every week at 1030 with my popcorn and I worship. Now, I know some people are, are not able to go to worship. I know that for various reasons. But for the rest of us who are able to go, we sometimes undervalue the importance of worshiping with God's people. Don't see how important it is. Don't, don't, don't have great value for it. There is something special about worship with God's people. It is. Something happens that, that renews you, strengthens you, encourages you. I can't really explain it, but I know it's real. Think about the times you, you force yourself to come to church on Sundays when you don't want to. You really don't want to be there, but once you got there, something came over you. Something ministered to you. And you were like, man, I'm glad I got up. I needed that word. I needed to hear that song. I needed to hear that prayer. What has happened to you? Something is ministering to you, inside of you. That's the spirit. That's the word. All of us have had that type of experience. And so we need worship with God's people. Don't abandon it. Don't take it for granted. Make it a priority. And here's the thing. You can worship him in the midst of crisis and difficulties. None of us have our life together. None of us feel like coming here every week. But we come because we know we need it. Because we know we need it. Don't forget that the people here in Nehemiah, they were dealing with generational difficulties. They were, they were, they were in a city that was not what it used to be. They had a temple that was, not, that was not what it used to be. And they had a community that was not what it used to be. And yet the text says they gathered together as one man. They got up and made a journey to worship. Even though life was not what it once used to be, even though it was hard, they still made it a priority to gather as the body and worship the Lord God. Verse 1 says, all the people gather as one man, the men, the women in Jerusalem. They are referred to as an assembly, a congregation, which highlights the purpose of worship. And this is the first time in Ezra and Nehemiah, that it talks about the people of Israel gathering to, for corporate worship in great detail. The first time in both of those books. This was a special moment for them. Because worship was taking place within Jerusalem that now had its walls restored. Now had the walls restored. It's time to celebrate. It's time to thank God. Can you imagine the people's excitement? That the joy that they were having at that moment of coming together within the walls of Jerusalem to worship, even though it was a shadow of what it used to be, it was still a sign of God's faithfulness, that he was still at work, still cared about us. Verse 8 says, The people bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The focus of their worship was the Lord, no one else. Their, Their worship was not aimed toward any other being. It was focused and directed toward the right source. And that was the Lord God. And the people was before him in humility. They were before him with respect and dependency, with their heads bowed, their faces to the ground. Our primary purpose each week, each Sunday, is worship toward God. Not to us, not to me, not to songs, it's to Jesus. Every week, 
is directed toward him. He is our focus in worship, in this life. And we come before him with attitudes of humility, with one of respect and one of dependency. Just like the Israelites here. I said earlier that, that the people of Israel had three festivals that they celebrated during the seventh month of the calendar. It was the Feast of Trumpets, which was celebrated on the first day of the seventh month. The second one was the Day of Atonement. It was on the tenth day of the seventh month. The Day of Atonement was a time for the people to humble themselves, to rest, to worship. And it was a time for them to, to be cleansed from their sins. And finally, it was the Feast of Booths. And it was a week-long feast that began on the 15th day of the seventh month. And that feast celebrated the people's salvation from Egypt. You see, the fact that the people gathered on the first day of the seventh month, it, it should point us to the Feast of Trumpets which historically was celebrated on the first day of the seventh month. And the Feast of Trumpets was a day of rest, too. It was one of worship. It was a time of spiritual preparation. It also marked the beginning and ending of one agricultural year for the people. So in reality, it was their new year. New year before the Lord. Worshiping the Lord at the beginning of the year. It was also a memorial proclaimed with blasts of trumpets. They were supposed to blow trumpets at this feast, a celebration. Blast of trumpets. Numbers 10, the Lord told Moses to make two silver trumpets. And these trumpets were, were used to summon the congregate, congregation together. And it was also used for them to break camp when they were still in the desert. And I want to read uh, something from Numbers 10 about those tr- the role and the purpose of those trumpets. You don't have to turn down and read it. In verse 8 of Numbers 10, it says, And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow the trumpets. The trumpets shall be for you a perpetual statute through all your generations. And when you go to war and land against your adversary who oppresses you, you shall, you shall sound the, an alarm with the trumpets, that you may be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies. On the day of your gladness also, at your appointed feast, and at the beginnings of your months, you shall blow the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings. They shall be a reminder of you before your God. I am the Lord your God. These trumpets were supposed to be an everlasting statute throughout the generations of the people. And yet, they're not mentioned here. I wonder, why not? Why, doesn't, why, why are they not mentioned here? I believe something else was serving as the summoning call to the people. Something else was functioning as a trumpet call for the people. Something else was going to remind the people of their Lord God. And we see it clearly stated here. It's the word. His word. His word. If you ever visit old churches around Huntsville or any town in the South, churches that have been around for generations, you know, you will, if you go into the sanctuary, you will notice they got pulpits, it's highly elevated pulpits within those old churches. This mean, it's high up. And the, and the, and the preacher, when, he, when they, he entered those, that pulpit, he spoke out toward the people. And the people will look up at the preacher preaching the word. 
And the purpose of those elevated pulpits was this, to show the elevation of the word above all things. And the word goes out, and it covers the people of God. Those, all those old churches, like First Presbyterian downtown has one. Bush just told me this morning. So I'm glad you told me I could put it in my sermon. So and when you see that, that serves for the purpose to show the people that God's word is elevated above you, above everything, above the building, it's the word. The word goes out and covers his people. And here in Nehemiah 8, this is what we have. The word of God summoning the people. The word of God calling the people. The, the, verse, the verse 2 says, The congregation told Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses. The Lord had commanded Israel. So he brought the law before the people. The first time again that the, that the book of the law is, 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 is shown and brought to the forefront like this in all the books, in, all, in the whole chapter, in the whole book of Nehemiah. This is the first time that the word of God is on the forefront like this. What's the point? The point is that people need more than just a restored wall for security. They need more than just a restored wall. But the word of God must be central. It must have its place. It must have its role within the worship, within our lives. It cannot just be physical security. You need God's word as well. It has to be central. Because like worship, the word of God can renew us. It does. See, it is the measuring stick. For every believer, this is your measuring stick. This. Nothing else. No other book. It sets the standard for your life, the standard for your theology, the standard for your ministries, the standard for worship. This does nothing else. Our measuring stick. And we have to surrender to it. And Ezra brought this measuring stick before the people. Why? Because man does not live on bread alone. Do you believe that? But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man does not live on bread alone. It bread, you can substitute bread for anything you want to put there. Money, fame, security, things that we run to, water, drink, things that we need and necessities of life, clothing, transportation, house. We need God's word as well. Not just those things. The word of God as well. It says he... He read from the law on a wooden platform. Who would have thought they had a pulpit this early in the church, man? On a wooden platform was made for what purpose? Reading the word, man. And not only that, it says he was high above the people. Well, he had an elevated pulpit way back in Old Testament history. What's the purpose again? The centrality of the word is central to the community. It covers the community. It covers everything we do. Verse 5 says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above the people. And he opened it to all the and as he opened it, the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. The word is highly elevated. This shows us that the centrality of the Mosaic law was once again given its proper place within the community of Israel. It was highly important. And this shows they're bringing it back to that. Does the word of God have this kind of importance in your life, in your marriage, in your career, 
in your job, in your child rearing and parenting skills, whatever it is. It's the word of God, the measuring stick for what you do and how you live. What is it? It has to be. We like to, we like to divide things up between the secular and the sacred. God doesn't do that. If you, if the word of God has to be the word of God for you Monday through Saturday, that's not 1030 on Sunday. It has to be the word of God every day of the week, not just here once a week. It has to be cover you, cover me and everything I do. Because it gives us direction, people. It gives us guidance. It helps us with our decision making. And do we listen? Do we understand? I think I know. Well, I got my papers out of order. Well, okay. Well, now I'm back. Do you listen to it? Do we read it? Do we understand it? That's the thing. Do you listen to it? Do you spend time in it? And do you understand what you're reading? See, the people here in in MIA, they listened, they read, they heard it, they listened to it, and they also understood what was being taught to them. Verses 7 and 8 says, The Levites helped the people understand the law. They read from it clearly, and they gave the sense, meaning they gave the interpretation of it, so the people could understand the reading. See, the congregation allowed their leaders to speak truth into their lives to apply the truth to their lives. The Levites help them to understand. See, the word of God is powerful, man. It's powerful. Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's the word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword. Meaning if it's going out, it's going to minister it's going to cut us sometimes. It's going to wound us sometimes. But it can heal as well. Isaiah 55, 10 through 11 says, For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sword and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, declares the Lord. It will not return to me empty, but it should accomplish the purpose for which it was sent. God's word would do that. And what does his word tell us? It reveals us about him. It shows us about, teaches us about salvation. It teaches us about grace. It it shows us how to know him better. His word reveals who he is. And it has accomplished that. The question is, are we listening? Are we listening to it? Are we just going through the motions, man? But are we listening to the word? It it teaches us about his faithfulness, his love, his kindness. It also shows us about ourselves, too. Just read Genesis 3. The fall and how man fell from God. The word of God gives us wisdom. It renews us. It comforts us. And it impacts us. Because in verses 9, 9 through 12, we see that the word of God produces a response in the people. 
It says, on the second day, the head, or Nehemiah and the governor, Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn and weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. They wept. I mean, it's like they're just hearing it for the first time. Some of them, it could be the first time. It's touching them, impacting them, changing them. So the word of God, when it comes into us, I think it produces conviction in us for our sins. And I think it can produce and renew our joy because it reminds us of God's faithfulness to his people. That you are not alone. Think about it. When, when you're going through hard times, you go, through, you go to the Psalms, right? And what do the Psalms remind you of? Man, God is with me in the battle. Psalm 23, my shepherd in the midst of the darkness. What does that do to you? It renews you. It strengthens you. Verses like, you have been astral in the palms of my hands. I dance over you with shouts of joy. When you read those verses, it strengthens you, man. It comforts you. That's what I'm talking about, the word, what it does to us. It, it impacts us. And can you tell me something special about verse 9? There's one phrase that is special. The first time the phrase is used in Nehemiah as well. This is the day. This day is holy to the Lord your God. What's special about the phrase Lord your God in Old Testament history? Elohim, Yahweh Elohim is God's covenant name. What is that pointing to? That he's a covenant keeping God. You're not alone, people. Yahweh Elohim is still your daddy. Yahweh Elohim has never not forsaken you. Yahweh Elohim has your back. Yahweh Elohim is here. Yahweh Elohim is working on your behalf. Yahweh Elohim is not going to forsake you. Yahweh Elohim works in the midst of brokenness. This is the day is holy, for the Lord your God has made it holy. So they want the people to rejoice in it. Because I'm still here, people. I have not left the building. I ain't ever going to leave the building. The people are being reminded of faithfulness. For the joy of the Lord is their strength. That's what he tells them. Our joy in the Lord is our strength. Why? Because he's a covenant-keeping God. Despite your failures, despite how much you mess up, he keeps the covenant in our lives on behalf of his people. So the word of God reminds us of those things. You come to worship to be reminded of that, to be encouraged in that. The word of God is elevated in worship. It's elevated in our lives. We should read it. We should study it, and finally, we should apply it and live it out in our lives. That's what the last um, verses, verses 13 through 19, are talking about, because in those verses, the people read about the, uh, the Feast of Booths, and, and the Word says they need to keep that festival, and so they keep it. And why are they keeping it? Because they read it in the Word, and that's how we should apply the Scriptures. The Scriptures shows me something in my life is not right. Then maybe I need to change it. 
the word of God has to allow the, I have to allow the word of God to direct my life, to convict me, to cut me when I need to be cut, to convict me and to change me. Because well, it goes out and it, refi- it fulfills the purpose for which it was sent. And so if I'm a believer and if I hardly ever read the scriptures, Am I being really built up? I'm talking about more than just coming on Sunday morning. If all I did was write sermons, if all the time I wrote in the Bible was to write a sermon, then I'm dying spiritually. I'm, I'm dying. If all I do is write sermons to give to you, then I'm dying as a minister. I have to make it a priority that I read and, and, and feed myself outside of sermon preparation. Because it's easy to just write sermons and that would be the end of my devotion life. But I'm dying. I'm building on sand, as Mark would say. So we got to feed ourselves the word, people. This is food. Your milk. Your meat. And some of us are starving. Some of us are dying. And I don't want you to starve. I, gotta, I want you to be obese on the word. That's what I want you to be. Overweight on the man. You're so, yeah, be that for the word. Do it. And it builds you up, people. It builds you up. And I know there are times when it's hard, times when it's difficult. As my, one of my friends used to say, as one seminary professor said, thank God for the man who never gives up having family devotions. Who never gives up. I think I've shared it with you before. He said, praise God for the man who never gives up having family devotions. Because you know there's going to be times when you don't do it. It's going to be a struggle. And praise God for a people who never gives up reading the scriptures. That even if you go a month or a week and you haven't opened it, you always go back. And the good news is that you can go back. Because he's faithful. At the beginning of the service, what he said, he knows you are but does. Jesus knows. Every week is something. Jesus knows there are going to be times in your life when you struggle to read the word. He knows that. But yet he loves us and accepts us anyway. Let us pray. Father God, I do thank you that um, you use worship to renew us. And I know there's times when, and I'm dying when I come up here because I'm tired. And that gives the room for the spirit to move. And I praise you that we can come before you in our brokenness, in our shame, in our hurts and our pains. And we need to be here during those times because we need to be ministered to. So I thank you, Father, for our body here. We all have issues. We all know that. And so I praise you, Lord, you help us to keep short accounts, to continue to love one another, serve one another. And I thank you, Father, that you have been faithful, Lord, beyond measure. And when we look at where we are as a congregation, all we can say is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, Jesus. All of us, the Village Church, the Village Ministries, everything, everything that's going on here is a testimony to your faithfulness and what you are doing. So as your people, Lord, re- remind us of your faithfulness. Show us all the ways you have been faithful to us, Lord, and let that renew us. 
Renew our joy. Renew our excitement in you. And again, let your word have a top priority in our life. Let it be the measuring state, the standard for what we do as a people of God. In Christ's name I pray.